This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. It's my, my pleasure and my honor to introduce Mark Lesser uh, back to the Austin Zen Center. Mark, apparently I found out last night that Mark had been coming yearly for years until about 2014. And then... Uh, due to lots of other obligations, including being the CEO of Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Uh, you got pretty busy there, traveling and teaching. Um, Mark has been practicing since before I was born. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> anyway, without, without further ado. <laughs> Returning to Austin. <laughs> Actually, the best, the best introduction I ever got was um, uh, that I was the author of Accomplishing Less by Doing More. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, you really outed me. That's the Zen way. Tearing up a little bit at your altar, looking at uh, Blanche and Steve. Yeah. Lots of, I, I didn't even quite realize all the history that I feel like I have here. I wanted to start with a, uh, a story. You know, I, I love this, um, the, the Zen ritual is really powerful. You know, there's something kind of powerful, magical, uh, I think transformative about. You know, this this was someone's living room. It was probably not that long ago, and that turned it into this kind of zendo sacred space. Uh, er, earlier this year, I did a talk. Uh, am I talking loudly enough? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Earlier this year, I uh, I did a talk at Green Gulch, where the the ritual is even you know more pronounced because it's it's a huge cavernous former barn that's been turned into a, uh, a meditation hall and, and there you know, there's maybe a few hundred people and the, the, the priest comes in from the back and everyone's sitting there. It's, it feels, um, the, the ritual is, is very powerful. And um, during this one talk, my, a neighbor of mine brought her seven-year-old daughter to this talk and and as I was, I was sitting up in front of the room, and, and there, uh, you know, after the after the chant, people chanted, and I started to talk. And my neighbor's seven-year-old turned to her mom and looked at her and said, "Mom, is our neighbor God?" <laughs> um, Of course, I immediately thought this is going to be very high bar to, to you know, <laughs> in a neighborhood now. But, but I, uh, I, what I love about this is the power, the power of ritual and the power of this practice. Uh, and, um, and I don't know what I don't know what her mom said to her, but what I hope she said is yes, and we're all and we're all like gods that we all 
that we all have this ability to transform, uh, to change, right? And so much I think of, I think of this practice is uh, kind of recognizing and entering the reality of how we are being transformed and we are transforming our lives, our, the, you know, this oxygen that, that we breathe, the, 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 the relationships that we are in with ourselves and with each other, that there's this constant uh, transformation. And, uh, I, I, and in some way, what I want to um, couch this, this morning's talk around is uh, searching, or seeking, searching, and finding. I, I, I recently... Uh, Reread uh, Herman Hesse's book Siddhartha. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's a must read. Uh, if you have read it, read it again. Uh, I've, I've read it many times and I picked it up recently just by chance. I was um, uh, at my daughter's house and there it was on the bookshelf and I picked it up and I read, I just devoured it. But there was a line in it that I don't remember ever having seen before. And you know, this is after. Uh, so it's an interesting story that Hesse wrote in that, you know, Siddhartha, who's the main character, uh, is on a quest, and he actually bumps into the the historical Buddha, and decides not to follow the Buddha. He decides that his real teacher has to be his his life, um, and he has all these different um, experiences life experiences, and then at the, at the end of the tale, when he's now an old man and he's a river guide, he, uh, by chance, bumps into his old childhood friend who decides, who had decided to be a student of the Buddha. And, um, yeah, and I, this is, um, this is from the book where, uh, Siddhartha said, you know, what could I say to you that would be of value? Um, right, so actually let me back up before that. Uh, right. So Siddhartha says to his friend, uh, do you call yourself a seeker? You are advanced in years and, and wear the robes of the Buddha's monks. Uh, I am indeed old, said this is his friend Govinda, but I've never ceased seeking. I will never cease seeking that seems to be my destiny. It seems to me that you have also sought. Will you talk to me a little about it, my friend? So Siddhartha says, what could I say that would be of value, except that perhaps you seek too much, and that as a result of your seeking, you cannot find. I, I loved something, it really grabbed me. And he goes on to say, how is that? And Siddhartha says, when someone is seeking, it happens quite easily that he only sees the thing that he's seeking, that he's unable to find anything, unable to absorb anything, because he's only thinking of the thing he's seeking, because he has a goal, because he's obsessed with his goal. You, O oh worthy one, are perhaps indeed a seeker, for in striving toward your goal, you do not see many things that are under your nose. So quite, uh, quite beautiful, I, I thought. 
And very similar, uh, I think in a way it's a similar message to uh, Shinryu Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi, who is the, the founder of the San Francisco Zen Center. I think one of his favorite stories was the story about um, these two very uh, renowned Chinese Zen teachers, uh, Baso and Nangaku. And in this story, um, some of you may know this story, uh, uh, Baso is sitting, Baso is his student, Baso is sitting meditation, sitting zazen, and his teacher says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm, uh, I'm going to make myself into a Buddha, I'm going to become a Buddha. And at this, his teacher, Nangaku, picks up a tile and starts to rub it, starts to polish the tile. And um, Basu says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making, I'm making this tile into a jewel. Right? I'm, I'm making it into something that can't possibly be. And, and his teacher, Nangaku, says, you know, uh, you're, you're wasting your time by trying to become a Buddha your ordinary mind is your Buddha. You, you, are, you are Buddha. And, and I think it's a similar message about don't be so caught by seeking for something. Allow yourself uh, to be found. Allow yourself to find. And, and in some way, I think going back to my, my story, original story, I think there's something in this practice, in this ritual, that is around this, this tra- part of this transformation is about finding. And, and there's many different ways to, I think, to talk about and uh, practice with this sense of what I, what I mean by kind of this transformation of searching into, into finding. And in some way, I think it's a little bit like my neighbor's daughter. Right, um, it feels it feels like you know. Are we gods? Like what? There's something. There's something profound about this space that we create. Uh, can we? What would it be like to just completely appreciate ourselves? Just comp- uh, completely appreciate who we are, being alive. The practice of finding. Right. So finding. Uh, Finding what's extraordinary right in the midst of the ordinary. Uh, finding effortlessness right in the midst of effort. That was one of the things I, I felt, um, uh, I'm sure Mako and I have many things in common other than I, that, yes, she was, we, I was born a few years earlier than you, but we both, uh, we both spent many years in the Tassar kitchen. And, and, and to me, that was uh, a profound experience of how magical, godlike, effortless work could be, right? The work, the work of creating, transforming all these ingredients, but also the work of transforming people, that, that this group of people would come in to this kitchen, and it, again, just an ordinary, extraordinary kitchen, and turn it into a temple, it, it, the, and I loved how there was always this flow between the uh, the meditation space and the kitchen space, and that it was 
that it was in a way, and then back back and forth, and that there is a sense of of the sense of finding, finding finding yourself uh, right in the midst of of the the things that went wrong in the kitchen, you know. The, but but there was something about that uh, it was being done with a sense of the intention to lose yourself, the intention to know yourself and to go beyond yourself, the intention to turn effort into effortlessness, the intention of letting go of time, of, of transforming time into a kind of uh, timelessness, and the intention to make what was ordinary extraordinary. And, and I think these are all things that, you know, again, when we, when we come into this room, uh, it's a reminder, I think, of how extraordinary that we've turned this living room into something else. And that when we sit down into, in this, that when we just take on this posture, we're just our ordinary, you know, neurotic selves. But at the same time, we are transformed. We're practicing what is it like? What is it like to find? What is it like to be found? To find our, um, to find our sense of feeling safe. Feel, what is it like? What does it feel like in the body to feel safe? What does it feel like in the body to feel secure and, and not, to not need anything, to not be grasping for anything? What is that like? Uh, what does it feel like to realize how profoundly connected we are, to not feel separate, right? And, and to, to step into that with every breath in, in our uh, meditation practice. And then when we get up from that, to, to, bring, that, to bring that into our lives, whatever it is we're, we're doing whether it's uh, working in the kitchen or working in a you know, nonprofit or a tech company. Yeah, I, I found myself, um, you know, I, I, right, so I, spent, I spent many years uh, in the Tassajara kitchen and, um, yeah, and those, were, those were profound, those were profound times and, and somehow um, several years after that, I, I found myself um, standing in front of rooms of Google engineers uh, with the task of teaching meditation and mindfulness and, and emotional intelligence. And um, it was interesting because people thought that I had a lot more experience and knew a lot more than I did. Uh, this, uh, but I always, I had, I had amazing people that I was standing next to who I was co-teaching with. Uh, I was co-teaching with uh, some Google engineers, some uh, Stanford neuroscientists. Actually, Norman, uh, Norman and I, Norman Fisher and I did a lot of standing together up in front of those Google engineers. And, and for me, I, I, I kept leaning back on the body of being in the Tassara kitchen. And, and that sense of selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, richness, right? And, 
and how could I, could, could I bring that, could we bring that into Google? Could we bring that into working with, with Google engineers? And, and I thought, you know, I, I, I call it the dirty little secret of the business world. It's all human beings. And, and I really felt that there was a hunger, a hunger for whether you call it, I think, um, you know, connection, authenticity, uh, dharma. There is a connection that people in the work world, and I think everywhere, I think we all have this really profound uh, hunger for selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, integrity, uh, all these, all these things that um, I think. To, and to me, um, you know, there's all of this. Uh, Press and, and activity around you know mindfulness and, and meditation, which I think is a, I think is for the most part a really good thing. For me, um, uh, it, it, the question is, what does it mean to be a full human being? How can we be fully human? How can we uh, heal ourselves? How can we heal the world? You know the, and again coming back to this sense of transformation and finding, moving from seeking, seeking to finding. You know, in a way, I think of the, the earliest teaching of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, are, are all about, you know, starting, starting, they start with seeking, they start with noticing our suffering, or maybe they start with finding one's suffering, finding what's difficult, not pushing away pain, not pushing away the fact that we are all here for a short time and we'll lose everyone and, and everything, right? Old age, sickness, and death. Completely leaning into that. But then, you know, uh, the, the second noble truth is noticing the cause, the cause of that, that it's, it's about our own grasping. It's about wanting things to be different. And then I think the, the third noble truth is around seeing that satisfaction, happiness, connection are possible. So to me, this is that transformation into seeking from, into finding. And again, again and again, finding. And, um, yeah, after um, uh, doing some of this work at Google, one of the questions was, um, well, this is, this is great that Norman and I can be up in front of some uh, group of Google engineers. And the question came up, well, how can, we, how can we expand this? How can we spread this more? And we decided to, um, that we would train groups of Google engineers to be mindfulness teachers. And, um, and we had about a, a, a dozen people that we that who had a, you know they'd been practicing at least some and they were really interested in practice. But this question is like, how what what is it that you need to know to really go more into depth in practice and 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 specifically what were the core practices values that these this group of Google engineers what would be useful for them. Uh, to know, and we had a meeting 
uh, we, we scheduled a day retreat with that as the topic. And um, I, uh, we brought Norman Fisher in as one of our guests who we thought he would do something. It wasn't quite sure what, what would happen. Um, but at that meeting, I was, sitting, I was sitting next to Norman and someone else had created the agenda for the day. And I noticed very early on, it said, Norman gives talk. And, and I, I realized, I thought no one had told this to Norman. So, you know, people are introducing the day and the meeting, and I took this piece of paper and I put it in front of Norman and I pointed. Norman very nonchalantly got out a, um, a pen and a napkin and wrote down some notes and uh, proceeded to give a talk that I found riveting. And I, I wrote down, uh, Norman talked about uh, these seven practices that he apparently on the spot um, uh, came, came up with as, as the seven practices that these Google engineers should know about in order to become mindfulness teachers. And, uh, and in some way, I, I think, you know, there's something, uh, I, I'm presenting a, a dualistic idea, this idea of seeking and finding, right? Because I think, I think there's no avoiding seeking, right? We have, to be, we have to be seekers. But I think we often forget about finding. We often forget about the other part of it. And I think, to me, these practices, and in particular, uh, you know, the, the, the Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught, and these practices that I'm about to t- talk to you about that Norman, uh, that Norman described, I think practices, it's practice that I think cuts through this duality of seeking and finding. It's about doing. It's about stepping into doing. It's taking, uh, taking that, that seeking mind into finding mind again and again. I think we're always uh, transforming. So at this day, and this was, um, I don't know, this was probably around 10, 10 12 years ago, uh, Norman talked about these seven practices, which he described as love the work, do the work, don't be an expert, connect to your pain, uh, connect to the pain of others, depend on others, and keep making it simpler. And I heard these, and of course I said yes. And, and actually the next day, I, I made a list of them, and I put them on everyone's desk at the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. There were about 20, maybe 20 employees at the time. And I started kind of writing about them and speaking about them. And then I had this idea that maybe these will be a book someday. And of course, I started to feel funny and needed to check this out with Norman. And by this time, I think uh, I don't know a year and a half or two years maybe had gone by, and I, I called Norman and said I, I needed his permission. Uh, I, could I have his permission to move forward with this book that was evolving about these seven practices that he had talked about at Google? And Norman, of course, said, "What seven practices?" <laughs> And um, I, read, I read Norman, the practices, and he said, those are pretty good. <laughs> and uh, yes, you should, you should write a book and send me a copy. 
<laughs> and and just um, just really briefly, you know, these practices. The the first practice is the practice of uh, to love the work of mindfulness meditation, being human, helping others. Right to that it's about. Again, to me, this is a kind of finding, right? Like finding, uh, finding yourself in love with this practice, with the practice of searching and finding, right? Of appreciating your life. Love, love the work. Love the work. Uh, do the work is that you actually have to have a practice, right? You actually need to have a meditation practice. You need to do retreats. Uh, you need to figure out how to integrate uh, these practices with uh, daily life. Uh, the third practice, don't be an expert, is, is a lot like you know a lot like the title of uh, Suzuki Roshi's book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Right. So don't be an ex like don't try and become an expert meditator. Which I find, I always laugh whenever I whenever I teach meditation in the business world. I can just see the competitive nature. Everyone wants to, everyone, you know, and I have to say, don't, don't try and be the best meditator. Forget it. For, like, just forget it. Um, and so there is something, there is something about that. Um, I think this practice, this don't be an expert, again, it's, it's a real connecting point around searching and finding, right? That I think that you know, if you're if you're the kind of person that needs a model to think about these things, a, a model that I like is that you you start out searching, right? There's no avoid, and I think you know th- there is something. There's something that we, we we don't just show up here for, and you know we don't find ourselves sitting here. There's something that we're looking for. So it would be it would be untrue to say that we're that we're not looking for something. We're not searching for something. But then what's interesting is to then let that go to have the courage, and part of the practice is what happens when we let go of what it is we think we're searching for, as, as Siddhartha is here, I think, very wisely counseling his friend Govinda. But then we, but then we have to get up. We have to get up from the cushion, and it's like, well, well who are we now? How, how have we been transformed? What have we found? What are we finding right now? So there is something, I think, beautiful about that, that flow between searching, don't be an expert, let it go, and then being, I like, it's more like being found, I think, than it is finding. Being, notice what's, what's found us, you know, what, what, and what are we finding? And then the uh, fourth and fifth practices are you know, uh, connect to your pain and connect to the pain of others. Again, a lot like Buddhists, the, the, the Four Noble Truths about not pushing away what's difficult, and recognizing recognizing the uh, the pain that we that we all feel as human beings. Um, uh, depend on others is the sixth practice. Really interesting practice in all parts of our lives. Um, you know, we we seem to be so much. Our culture is so much about um, doing it doing it yourself, uh, but. And of course, there is. We, we do need to do it ourselves. And there's this um, importance of recognizing our interdependence, recognizing our connection, you know, in from the the air we breathe to the water we drink to 
our own identities, how much of our, we're such, uh, we're such social creatures. And the last practice, which um, might be the hardest, right? Keep making it simpler, especially in today's, today's world. Um, the combination of uh, technology, um, yeah, our, the political world we live in is anything but simple. Uh, so how, how, to take, how to take the, without avoiding, without avoiding the complex, the complexity of um, our lives and our world, but to keep coming back. To me, the, it's the practice of what matters most, what's most important to me right now. What, what, is it, what is it I really want to be expressing, doing, connecting with, healing today? What's, what's most important? Yeah, there's a... Um, and part of that is... is I think so much of that is practicing finding rather than, you know, we're seeking for all these things and, and one way to keep making it simpler I think is this um, practice of finding and being, being found. I told Mako no one should ever speak for more than 20 minutes. No one ever does that. But, um, uh, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to, I've got about a week's worth of material here. Um, <laughs> come tomorrow. Come tomorrow. Um, but I think um, I think I want to end here uh, and read a poem. And and this is um, yeah. Despite all of the things I want to talk to you about, yeah, I feel like it's it's actually a, it's a, um, a tremendously rich time in my in my own life right now, and I imagine in everyone's life. Right? Our, lives, our lives are amazing when we kind of peel away the clutter and look into like what's, what's happening in this body and mind. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm reading a lot these days. In fact, the book I'm reading right now is called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And if you know that book? The body keeps the score. It's a powerful book about trauma um, and about um, how much the body knows from everything that's happened in our lives. And, and it's a lot about memory and repressing. And it's potent. But on the lighter side, I'm also reading. Um, uh, I'm, I'm reading, um, oh, uh, Buddhism is True is a, is a really great book that I... Have you read that book? Yeah, it's a great... It's a, should be required reading of all Zen teachers. Buddhism, why, why Buddhism is true. Why, I'm sorry, why Buddhism is true. Um, and I'm rereading um, Sapiens uh, by Yuval Noah Harari, which I'll just mention one thing about him and then I'll read the poem. Uh, he, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, an Israeli historian and very serious meditator. Uh, his, this book, Sapiens, uh, a, a Brief History of Mankind, and his second book is called Homo Deus, uh, A Brief History of the Future. And then he has a third book called uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And these books are like incredibly complex, beautiful books. In this last book, uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, the, the 21st lesson is meditation. 
And he says in there, which I now quote to anybody who tells me they don't have time to meditate, he meditates for two hours a day. And he says he could not have written these books if he had not had that practice. Sometimes I feel like a meditation salesman, but it's okay. This poem, it's by William Stafford. And I think it's a beautiful poem about finding and being found. And it's called You Reading This, Be Ready. Um, You probably know this poem. It's one of Paul Howler's favorite poems. Starting here, what do you want to remember? How sunlight creeps along a shining floor? What scent of old wood hovers? What softened sound from outside fills the air. Will you ever bring a better gift for the world than the breathing respect that you carry wherever you go right now? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? When you turn around, starting here, Lift this new glimpse that you found. Carry into evening all that you want from this day. So that line, right, when you turn around starting here, lift this new glimpse that you found, right? What have you found? Carry into evening all that you want from this day. This interval you spent reading or hearing this, keep it for life. What can anyone give you greater than now? Starting here, right in this room, when you turn around. Starting here, what do you want to remember? How sunlight creeps along a shining floor. What scent of old wood hovers. What softened sound from outside fills the air. Will you ever bring a better gift for the world than the breathing respect that you carry wherever you go right now? Are you waiting for time to show you some better thoughts? When you turn around, starting here, lift this new glimpse that you found. Carry into evening all that you want from this day. This interval you spent reading or hearing this, keep it for life. What can anyone give you greater than now? starting here, right in this room, when we all turn around. Thank you.